July 29th, 2022. We're in Masechet Berachot and Gimal Amud Aleph. And picking up from where we finished last time, where we left off last time, it's before the, line, the lines get wide, nine lines up, the last word on the line, Tanya. It's a Beraita. And the Gemara had just beforehand mentioned, if you recall, that there are these three Mishmarot, these three time periods during the night, during which this graphic and... Uh, cryptic description of HaKadosh Baruch Hu being Sho'eg Ke'ari. He's crying out like a lion and he's speaking about as he cries out the destruction of the Mikdash, the exile of the people, of his people. Tanya, Beraita Amar Rabbi Yoseh Pa'amahatayiti mehalech baderech There was one time, remembers Rabbi Yoseh, that I was walking on my way. V'nichnasti lehorba achat mehorbot Yerushalayim. I entered into one broken down, abandoned place. It means it was a place where people once lived, and it's, uh, so to speak, on its last legs, uh, abandoned uh, shack of sorts. Um, and I entered into that. Why did you enter into the Lehit Palel, to pray? Ba Eliyahu zachur latob v'shamar li al hapetach. Eliyahu Hanavi, says Rabbi Yose, in recollecting this event, he says, Eliyahu came, v'shamar li, and he was watching over al hapetah. What is v'shamar? Says Rashi, not to watch over per se, but to wait, himtin. Rashi cites several examples for how you know the word shamar might refer to waiting. The most famous, of course, is ve'aviv shamar et adavar, of course, that's the description of Yaakov and Yosef, as the brothers are angered by Yosef's dreams. Yaakov shamar et hadavar. Yes, that's right. So there's parentheses shortly thereafter. Now parentheses, those parentheses, I didn't hear you that as you said it. The parentheses say vihimtinli, and you might say, see, there's a little letter next to it, at least in my Gemara, there is, and it brings you to the top right-hand corner. All right, you need to get a better Gemara. And it says barif, Lamid Gimal. Lamid Gimal stands for Lagar Sinan. Rif, Rabbi Tzhak Al-Fasi, doesn't have these in his Gemara. I'm explaining to you, Rashi, Rashi doesn't either. If Rashi is translating the word of Shamar Li Al Hapetah as he waited for me, so then those next words in the Gemara were not present for Rashi. If you were to have those words in the Gemara, so then the word Shamar Li Al Hapetah should be translated differently. It should be the way I translated it initially, which is, he guarded and waited for me. Okay. I thought they got this from Rashi, but of course he did, because it's his commentary that they're throwing in here. No, 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 that, that parenthesis over here is not from Rashi. That parenthesis comes at late, some later juncture, just several hundred years ago, as Rabbi Yeshaya Pick Berlin is editing the Talmud as we have it, together with others, of course, at different times. It's always hard to know exactly when, unless you look at the old scripts of Gemara, they put it in parentheses to tell you, and they explain why, that perhaps you shouldn't be reading it. Either way, you slice and it won't be significant for us. Here's Eliyahu Navi watching, waiting for Rabbi Yose as he's praying in the Horba. Ad shesiyamti tefilati, he waited for me until I finished praying. That's an interesting circumstance because what the Gemara will describe in the ensuing lines is how Eliyahu rebukes him for praying in the Horba. Instead of stopping him in the middle of the Amidah, appears as if it wasn't quote-unquote Asur to do so. Had it been Asur, he would have stopped him in the middle. He allows for him to finish and then tells him, perhaps this wasn't the right thing to do. Okay, I finished praying, says Rabbi Yosef, Amar li, Eliyahu turns to me and says, Shalom Alecha Rabbi. 
Pieces to you, my master. I responded to him, Shalom Alecha Rbi Umori. He one ups Eliyahu. My master, my master and mentor, my master and teacher. Eliyahu then entered into the uh, crux of the conversation. Bini, my son. No longer my master, now my son. Why'd you enter into this desolate, broken down home? Rabbi Yosef responds, I came to pray. Eliyahu responds, You should have instead prayed on your way. The assumption is, he felt it inappropriate to pray on his way when he was out in the street, when he was out on the road. And as a result, he found, albeit an uh, alternative, which is not a great one, but an alternative where perhaps his kavana would be enhanced. So he found this horba. Ve'amartilo, the response of Rabbi Yosef, the reason I didn't do it though, on the derech mityareh ha'iti sheme yafsiku bi I was nervous that the Avredirachim, the passerbys, the people who were walking on the streets, would stop me. They'd deter me from praying appropriately. That's why I found my way to the Horba. Isn't that a great answer? Amarli, Amarli says Eliyahu, I understand what you're saying. There's a solution nonetheless for not doing it in this Horba, which he'll explain in a few moments why he thinks it inappropriate, but nonetheless being able to pray with Kavana. You should have instead prayed a shortened prayer. What's a shortened prayer? Says Rashi, Tefila Kesara, Rashi writes one word, Havinenu. Describes what's called this truncated prayer. It's the Amida, which has the first three berachot and the last three berachot, as we know them. And then the middle portion is a, a, a condensed version of all those middle berachot. That's why it starts with the word Havinenu. After all, our fourth beracha starts with the words Atahonen Ladamda. So Havinenu is about Bina. So we start that that condensed version of all the berachot in the middle, three at the beginning, three at the end, with the word havinenu, that's what you should have instead been praying. So people still stop him. But it's a lot shorter. It's a lot, more e- it's a lot easier to affect this and minutes. to do it. Apparently a significant amount to the extent that Eliyahu and even Rabbi Yosef doesn't counter as you're countering. I guess you could steal away two minutes. You can't steal away. I don't know what's a regular Amidah. Six minutes, seven minutes, or if you're more religious, 15 minutes, I don't know. Anyway, says uh, Tosafot, uh, initially uncertain that this Tefillah Kesara, like Rashi, is a reference to Havinenu. Ultimately speaking, coming around to the interpretation of Rashi, but then questioning it about seven lines before the end of the Tosafot, Dibura Mathil Hayale Hitpalel, writes Tosafot, Ve'af al-gav delayit Allah abaye. Aman demit palel havinenu. Tosafot cites from the Gemara and Dafkaftet, where Abaye Layit, Layit is a lashon kilala, he would so to speak curse out, he would rebuke, he would reprimand people who prayed havinenu. So, one second, Eliyahu thinks you should pray it. Rabbi Yosef seems to be okay with it. And Abaye, last generation, in Moraim says, oh, nobody's saying havinenu. Answers Tosafot, there are circumstances, situations where it's appropriate and others where it's not. 
Mutar. Tosafot suggests that Abaye was nervous and he was unhappy with the fact that people were saying Havinenu when they were in the city. In a regular circumstance, you really needed to truncate, to make your prayer shorter. For what reason? We have a fixed and structured prayer. Pray that. When you're in the Sadeh, when you're in the Chorba, when you're Baderich, there suggests Tosafot it would and perhaps is appropriate to say Havinenu. I might ask you, and it's not it's beyond the purview of our conversation right now, and Dafkaftet perhaps will address this at greater length. There's, there's a book written by uh, Rabbi Broid, as a matter of fact, on this concept. Why is it that in today's day and age we don't know anyone, to the best of my knowledge, unless you do, who prays Havinenu? And the Gemara will in a moment not only state it from Eliyahu, it'll applaud it, and the Gemara, well, you'll tell me Abaye, but Tosafot is distinguishing. Clearly our Gemara is okay with it. That's what you should have done. That's right. So again, a a longer and important conversation with regards to the development of Halakha when we get to Daf Kaftet. Anyway, back to the story. Says the Gemara Rbiyose in this Beraita remarks, he says, I understood three things from Eliyahu at that time. The fact that he had that short conversation with me, Lamad at that time, second line here in the wide lines, I learned from him, Rabbi Yosef from Eliyahu, the following three things. Number one, I learned that you should not enter into a Chorba, into that desolate, broken down former home or a place that had a roof and walls around it, right? And the Gemara will, in the ensuing lines, wonder and question and suggest three reasons why you shouldn't be entering into a Chorba. That was the first thing I understood. Lamadity number two, it's appropriate, applaudable to pray, not only Kiryat Shemayas, but Amida as well. Tefillah is, Baderich Velamadity, and I lastly understood, and be medayek in that word, according to Tosafot, quoting from Abaye's contrast, that when you're baderech, when you're in a circumstance where it's necessary to have a shorter amida, then you do the tefillah of Havinenu. Did he really not know? And if he didn't know about the halacha, don't we say lo v'shamayim? Like even if God that's a very interesting question. Like Some fantastic questions. The question that uh, Victor asks is: learning a halacha from Eliyahu, assuming we are going to be posek la halacha this way, and Rabbi certainly is respecting it. Don't we have the Gemara in Masechet Bava and Afnun Tet, wherein by the Tanur Shel Achnai, this well-known occurrence and situation where Bili Ezer is trying to set forth his Pesach Halacha based on heavenly voices, based on occurrences that are miraculously taking place for him in nature, that Halacha is like him, and the rabbis stand up on their feet and proclaim, Lo we don't accept the words of heaven over our system which God bequeathed to us with regards to halacha. There's a general question with regards to as well, the words of Zohar, for example. Should we respect the words of Zohar with regards to halacha? What is it that gives authority to Zohar? This is a general question. It's a question of Kabbalah with regards to accepting halacha from out of the norm sources as a result with regards to She'elot Shubot Min HaShamayim, we've discussed on more than one occasion, Rabbi Yaakov of Marvez, who receives message from heavens with regards to the proper halacha. And the poskim and the mifarshim to this Gemara first, and then many others question, as you did, how do you square this with that concept? So there are many different interpretations with regards to this. One is along the following lines. It goes as follows. 
with regards to a halakha, which is now going to disagree with another opinion. Rabbi Eliezer is disputing Rabbi Yoshua and the other hachamim of that time period, trying to prove his point, lo The shamayim will not relegate one opinion to the side and prop up the other. Alternatively, over here, there's no counter opinion. There's Rabbi Yosef, not Rabbi Yosef being posek one way. Rabbi Yosef, the fact that he did it, it appears, the suggestion is, that he did it without realizing that it could be a problem. It's not that he has a rationale. He's not fighting with Eliyahu. He's not bowing his head and saying, well, listen, I thought differently, but I'll accept. It's that's what I was doing. I didn't realize this posed an issue. That's one of the, uh, the, the best answers in this context. Alternatively, if it's in the context of Pesach Halacha, if it's in the context of quoting other names, quote unquote, and helping them, there's conversation to be had. The poskim discuss whether if it's for a birur, it's a gemara masechet yevamot, and menachot, if it's for a birur, it's for a definition, maybe in that circumstance we would turn to quote-unquote shamayim. Okay, these are all important questions, but that's the best answer in my mind. It's that over here, and that in fact is the Radvaz's famous opinion that Beit Yosef quotes in several places, that in order to determine halakha, and ostensibly that's what Beit Yosef follows with regards to halakha, will let Zohar, for example, be machria, will let Zohar determine X versus Y, will go with that. Not that it's our Talmud says X, Zohar says different, we're going to go with Zohar. Do you understand what I'm saying? For example, the classic example is Tefillin on Cholah There's a Mahlok amongst the Rishonim. They're uncertain whether we should be putting on Tefillin on Cholah or not. Shohan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Karo, in his Beit Yosef says, I'm uncertain about it as well. There are different traditions, different interpretations. Mahlok between the Rishonim on this matter. Rosh changed his opinion. Oh, how are we to determine? He says, well, I found in Zohar that it says you shouldn't. He says, over here, I'm, I'm willing to and I'm excited to accept Zohar to be machria between these two opinions, not to win against Talmud. All right, anyway, those are the sorts of conversations that ha- need to be had over here. Says the Gemara onward, says that Rabbi Yosei exclaimed, I learned these three things, back to the action. So that was, so to speak, on the side. If you're imagining this as a play, Rabbi Yosei is telling you the story. As he tells you the story, he then stands to the side and says, you should know, I learned three things. And all the action is paused. Now he steps back in, and the action keeps going. And Eliyahu at that time period said to me, What sound did you hear at this time? Excuse me, Vamali Beni, son, what sound did you hear uh, in that uh, desolate, desolate area? Amarti, this is what I heard. Shamati Batkol. I heard, quote unquote, the daughter of a sound. Shemenahemet Kiona. It was cooing like a dove. Ve'omeret, and it was saying, Oy labanim sheba'avonotehem, hechirafti et beti, sarafti et hechali, vehichlitim leben ha'umot. So, uh, several things to be noted over here. First and foremost, what is a bat kol? Bat kol in my Gemara as well, there's a little mark next to it, a little gimal. It leads you to the top right hand corner. It says kol havara. Havara is an echo. And the reason it would be called a bat kol then, and Rashi seems to say, state this in one or two places, and they cite afterwards Tosafot. You should see Rashi over there as well in Sanhedrin Adaf Yod Aleph. It's that this voice is removed. 
And as a result, sounds almost like an echo. That's what a bat call is. It's, so to speak, a heavenly voice, but it's uh, the way they state it, as the Gemara says it, it's a darga, it's a level below Ruach HaKodesh. So, so to speak, there's some sort of inspiration, uh, intellectual, divine inspiration, but it's removed from even further than, you know, Ruach HaKodesh, which we envision, according to Arambam, as a level below Nivua. So that's a bat call of some sort with regards to what he's hearing. He hears this voice, and its, its message is identical to what we discussed at the end of the class last time. At the end of the class last time, we said three times an, at night, at the three Ashmurot, if you recall, God is crying out like the Aryeh, and he's saying these words, Oy lahem, to my children, that because of their sins, and all these sorts of terrible things, the destruction of the Mikdash, and the burning of the Hechal, and their exile amongst the nations. It's interesting, though. I don't know about you, but uh, the, the roar of a lion is very different than the cooing of a dove. I love waking up to the cooing of turtle doves. I wouldn't, although I've never had that experience, want to wake up to the scary, to the ominous, the forebear, foreboding the cry and shouting of a, of a lion. Very different imagery. Well, which one is it? So the Mephashim, if I'm not mistaken, suggest one of two answers. And maybe there are others. Either one is, quote-unquote, the way if you were to tap into the genuine, quote-unquote, kol of Hashem, so it's sho'ek But in this world, how are we going to experience that? We're going to experience it as the cooing of a dove. It's removed and it's, so to speak, put down to our level. You know, it's along the lines of envisioning, you know, the sounds of Sinai, not at their core, but what we have in the aftermath of it. Alternatively, the description we had earlier was what takes place at night. The night, generally speaking, Kabbalistically, but even in the Gemara, in several places, they describe the night as the time of Din, of Gevurah. That's the time where you get the real action and potential being maximized. Daytime? Daytime is a time of Chesed. Daytime is a time where it's diminished with regards to that full fierceness and, and, and potency. And as a result, so we saw earlier a description at night, which would ironically, interestingly state that even during the day, quote unquote, these are the messages. This is the uh, the lesson that God's looking to transmit to us. The Amali Eliyahu Navi says to me, says Rabbi Yosei, remembering this occurrence. Hayecha ve roshi, and by uh, your life and by my life. That's a lashon shivua. That's the way in the time of the Gemara they would swear. I said Roshi, I'm sorry. Interesting. By your life and by the life of your head. Sometimes they'll have Haye Roshi. I guess Eliyahu was not so, you know, that far with regard. But by your life and by the life of your head. In other words, it's a way of saying, I swear to you. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, quote-unquote, in transmitting that message to humanity, didn't and did, doesn't just say it at that time when you were praying. Every day, three times a day, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says it. Again, the question is whether this is a reference to just the nighttime, or it's letting us, uh, revealing to us that this takes place during the day as well. Why is he asking him if it always happens? No, he didn't ask if it always happens. Eliyahu was just telling him it always happens. It's almost like he's like, oh, so I know you did this wrong. You went to the haunted house. You did it with this. So what'd you hear? Oh, I heard this. Oh, by the way, that happens every day. That's a lesson. Uh, that's right. No, it's just a lesson. Uh, you, like you're saying was something special that happened because he prayed in this quote, maybe incorrect way. And maybe like Rabbi Yosef, in truth, understood it that way in telling him this. To which Eliyahu and Avi says um, to him, 
you should know this is a message. Perhaps you tapped into it in that moment because you were nervous. But in reality, you should be hearing it at all times. I mean, it, it defines, it describes to, to me exactly what you're bringing forth. It describes to me the way we have this, this, this natural tendency to, quote, hear God's voice during the dangerous times in our lives. But his voice was present throughout. His voice is, uh, Batkol was emanating, as the Mishnah says at the end of Avot, from, from Har Horev, and it's saying to us, How terrible is it for the, the fact that we're not upholding the Torah appropriately? But I didn't hear it. Have you heard it? But you did hear it. In the moments of difficulty, of strain in your life, of stress, that's when you are somehow able to tap into existence itself. So that's, so to speak, the moment over here. The, the Rabbi Yosef says, I heard it. He says, oh, of course you heard it. You were nervous. You were in solitude. You were focused. It's just, it's, but it's always there. So in other words, you bring forth that sort of lesson over here. Velozo bilvad says Eliyahu in finishing this statement, just a few more lines and we'll finish this beraita. Ela b'sha'ashi Yisrael nichnasin l'batei knesiyot ul'batei midrashot. Every time that Am Yisrael enter into the batei knesiyot, the synagogues, batei midrashot, the study halls, ve'onin, and they respond, yeheshe mehagadol mevorach, they respond, his name, the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu should be blessed. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Borei Olam shakes his head almost out of pain, out of distress. Ve'omer, and he says, Kivyachol ashrei ha-melech shemekalesino to beveto, kach malo le'av shehigla et bana vo'elahem lebanim shegalu me'al shulchan avihem. He says, how praiseworthy is it for a king whose children praise him as such when he's in his home. It's another one of these realizations that Kadosh Baruch Hu, we are not greeting him in his home in the Mikdash. Malo la'av, can you only imagine how terrible it is for a father? Shehiglait banav, he had to, or he brought forth the exile of his children. Oilahim labanim, woe is to the children, who in turn are a niglu, they're exiled from the shulchan, from the table, from the association, the connectedness of avihem of their father. Tosafot, picking up on these words, set forth the following interpretation. Of course, these are words very similar to what we have in our Kaddish. Tosafot initially has an interpretation that the way you read it is twofold in our Kaddish response. They interpret period. Uh, which means to say as follows, citing the Pasuk in Parashat Beshalach, um, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name is not complete until the destruction of Amalek, until we set forth his kingdom in the proper way and we and weed out all the evil forces of existence. What we're saying is, it's Shem Yod Ke. Shem Yod Ke is a compound word. So we're saying, Shem, the half name of God, Rabbah, should be great, should be filled. That's what we're expressing. The first statement in Yehesheh Rabbah, according to Tosafot, quoting from Mahazor Vitri, a student of Rashi, is that with your name, God, we pray for the destruction of Amalek, 
and the uh, raising up, the ascension of your greatness. And then we say, and your name should be separately, it should be blessed for eternity. Tosafot is uncertain about this interpretation. In truth, the Girsa and the Gemara is not uh, clear because of the Girsa and our Gemara, others have it as Yehe Shemo. You'll see the little Dalid, at least in my Gemara, next to that word Sheme, and it says Girsat Maharsha Shemo. You'll find in some of the Rishonim, it's Shemo. Of course, the whole interpretation of Mahazor Vitri falls away because they have it as Shem Yod Ke. If it's Shemo, you don't have it like that at all. And as a result, Tosafot furthermore suggests that Tosafot says, Vizelo Niramit Kamar Hagadol Mevorach. Right? Our Gemara doesn't have it as Yehesheme Rabba Mevorach. Our Gemara has it Yehesheme, at least Tosafot has it as Hagadol. In other words, Yeheshem, we read uh, Tosafot suggested as Yeheshem Yodke Rabah should be great. If it's Haggadol, it's descriptive. It's not what I want to happen. It is great. As a result, Tosafot disagrees and instead suggests probably the easier interpretation, Yeheshem Rabah, the great name of God or the grant should be blessed. Tosafot then concludes by wondering out loud why our Kaddish is in Aramaic. Much of the prayer is in Hebrew. Tosafot wonders, why is the Kaddish in Aramaic? Tosafot initially answers that since it's such a tefillah na'ah v'shevah gadol, it's a beautiful tefillah, it's a great praise of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's written in a language that the angels won't understand. The Gemara Masechet Sotah, the Gemara Masechet Shabbat, Daf Yodalf has this Enigmatic, hard to understand. We talked about it in a class with regards to silihot, the Aramaic portions of silihot, what this means, how we interpret it. If you recall, we mentioned over there from the Geonim, from Rabbi Mazuz, an entire interpretation, different approaches. But that's what the Gemara says. It says angels don't understand Aramaic. The suggestion of Tosafot initially is the reason it's said in Aramaic is so that the angels don't have kinah, they're not uh, embarrassed, they're not jealous of our praise to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's a nice description. It's hard perhaps for you and I, at least for me, to associate with the idea that when I'm saying Kaddish, I don't want the jealousy of the angels, not exactly my vision, but that's one suggestion of Tosafot. Tosafot alternatively suggests, basing themselves on the Gemara later on, uh, that the Kaddish was primarily, and this is a class we did on the origins and the history of Kaddish, where we talked about the early stages of Kaddish. Kaddish really originated in the aftermath of a class, what we call today Kaddish al-Yisrael. That's the original Kaddish, you would be said, after there was a class that was told to the students or told to the people who were there, you'd finish the class with words of praise to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Therefore, says Tosafot, at the classes, very often, you had Ame'aretz. You had people who didn't know Hebrew well. You wanted them to be a part of the praise of God. You were maybe breaking down for them fundamentals of Judaism, of Torah. But when you finished the class, you wanted them to be a part of that praise of God. Instead of doing it in Hebrew in a way that they might not as easily associate and understand and identify with, it was written and, and recited specifically in Aramaic. Just to summarize what we learned in the Gemara today, we really just learned one beraita, 
The Beraita is the story of Rabbi Yoseh in that Chorba, where he encounters Eliyahu, he learned three halachot, and then the Gemara finished Rabbi Yoseh remembering what Eliyahu explained to him about what HaKadosh Baruch Hu does on a consistent and constant basis every day, similar to what we saw earlier in the Gemara taking place every night, that constant memory realization that we don't have the Mikdash, the yearning for a connection from us to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is portrayed in our Gemara as his yearning for a connection with us, restoring the Mikdash, bringing us back to Eris Israel. What the Gemara will do in the ensuing lines, and we'll just begin them, the last two lines here is, talk about, just for a little bit, that idea of not praying in a Chorba. Let's just read the first two lines of this, There are three reasons we mentioned earlier why it's inappropriate, why you should not enter into a Chorba, into that desolate, broken down area. Number one, because of Hashad, Hashad Rashi explains, it's a, it's a suspicious activity. People see you entering into a desolate, broken down home, they'll assume, hopefully wrongfully so, you were just going to pray like Rabbi Yosef, but it appears wrong. Maybe you were going there to commit a, uh, a, a wrongful relations a- action with a harlot of, of one sort or another. Uh, why would the harlot be there? And, uh, off the beaten track, so you don't catch her and you don't catch you in the act of sin. Mipene mapolet, alternatively, another reason is because it's a dangerous place to be in. The walls might fall down, the, ce- the ceiling, the roof might fall down. It's just dangerous to be there, and as a result, you don't and should should not be there, says Rashi. The walls are rickety, they're not stable, and as a result, there's a fear it'll fall onto you. And lastly, the last interpretation, last reason given is because of the demons, the mazikin. The Gemara will go on to a question why each of these are necessary. Perhaps one reason would have been sufficient. Apparently we'll have a circumstance where just mazikin will be relevant and another one where just mapolet and another one as well where just hashad, where we need three reasons to tell you under all circumstances you can enter into the uh, chorba and we in turn will have opportunity to talk about what the Gemara perhaps means and how that has some sort of status with regards to our lives or practice of halakha today when it mentions mazikin, these demons of once upon a time. Baruch Adonai Amen Amen.